0: Tonight, and I'm excited about that. I'm very excited. And so before he comes, I just want you to have your hearts open and ready to receive what God has in store for you. May God do something well. May God do something good for your life tonight. If you catch on to the words that are being ministered, your life will be impacted. And that's in, in just not for the moment, but you can have it be a long-lasting impact on your life. If you don't know who I am, I am Pastor B known as Pastor Brandon Hill, Senior Pastor here at Transformation Christian Fellowship. And it's an honor that you are here with us tonight. We do not take it lightly that you came tonight to come and worship God with us. If we're a little rowdy, I don't make no apologies. (laughs) This is who we are. All right. I pray that you have a great time. If you were looking forward to hearing me tonight, I got, he's just as good. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we're excited. I'm excited for what the Lord is going to say uh, through him. So point your hands to him tonight. Say, Minister Dom. That's what we call him around here. I'm sorry. So Minister Dom, <laughs> preach the word. Be bold, be courageous, and allow the spirit of God to use you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on and receive him. Put your hands together.
1: Praise the Lord, everybody! Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Anybody filled? I'm filled. I'm filled. Before I start, TCF, can we stand in honor our Shepherd? Woo! This man has such has has had such a huge impact on my life, and. Uh, I love him dearly, and I'm grateful that he's given me this opportunity. Um, I stand here carrying his mantle. I don't take that for granted, so thank you. All right. Y'all ready for the word? Y'all ready? All right. Let's go. Psalm 73. Psalm 73, verses 25 through 28. Oh, what am I doing? I can just look right here. (laughs) All right. Psalm 73, verse 25. It reads, whom have I in heaven but you and there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you 26 my flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever I want to talk to you all tonight from the subject of the ultimate prize the ultimate prize So we've been in a message series this month entitled Hunger and Thirst, Hunger and Thirst. It's all been, it's been all about being passionate about God, having an intense passion for God, a a desire that is solely for God, and a hunger and thirst after the things of God. Amen. And so we look at these two verses. These two verses really exemplify this message series to me. You see desire, you see hunger, you see passion, you see all of these things. Look at it again. Whom have I in heaven but you? The U is capitalized, so we know that the writer is talking about God. He says, whom do I have in heaven but you? And there is not one thing on this earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God, you are the strength of my heart, and you are my portion forever. So when God gave me these two verses, I said, okay, God, cool. This fits right into the message series. This is awesome. But as I studied the passage more, I realized that the writer's focus wasn't always on God. In actuality, if you look at this passage in its totality, you see that the writer spends majority of the passage, which is focused on other people. And what you need to understand tonight is that you cannot underestimate one of the biggest stumbling blocks to your pursuit after God, and that is comparing your life to somebody else. Yeah, yeah, comparing your life to the perceived reality of somebody else's life, when in actuality, what you're seeing is fake. (laughs) What you're seeing on Instagram, fake. What you're seeing on Facebook, fake. And I used to run track, and so what they used to tell us when we stepped into the starting blocks, Dominique, keep your eyes on your own lane. Stay in your own lane. Run your own race. Because the temptation is for your eyes to take your eyes off of your own lane, turn to the lane next to you, and start to get envious, jealous, discouraged, depressed, because you're basing the reality of what you're seeing is based upon a perceived reality. You don't even have all the facts. <laughs> and yet you look at the other person and say, wow, how Sally Sue get a, get a promotion over me? I've been here longer than she has. Yeah, yeah. How Pookie and Ray Ray and them, they ain't got no good credit, but they got the car that I want before I got a chance to buy it. Billy over here, he's an atheist, he's an agnostic, he don't even acknowledge God, and yet he got vacations year-round, he got money in his pocket. Why is it that all the people who don't know God are succeeding, yet I know God, I pursue after him, I chase after him, and yet I don't have nothing to show for it? And so what you have to begin to understand is that if you don't keep your eyes on the prize, the prize is not a trophy, the prize is not a medal, the prize is a person. His name is Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let us run this race set before us with endurance. Watch it. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Tell your neighbor, keep your eyes on the prize. Yeah, yeah. Go to the next slide for me. So contrary to popular belief, this psalm was not written by David. Not all the psalms are written by David. The Book of Psalms has many different writers, and so this particular psalm is written by the man named Asaph. Tell your neighbors his name is Asaph. 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 Let me give you a quick history about Asaph. Asaph is a Levite. You always hear in church, "Who are the Levites?" They. Oh, I'm not gonna go there. But if you do your research and you study your Word, if you trace, if you trace, excuse me, Asaph's genealogy, he is traced all the way back to Levi, who was one of uh, Jacob slash Israel's 12 sons. So he's a Levite through genealogy. For those of you who serve in music ministry and praise and worship, you can identify with him and that Asaph is a worship leader. In First uh, Chronicles chapter 6, King David places him, Heman, and Ethan, three men from three different tribes in s- charge of service of song to the Lord in the tabernacle before the Ark of the Covenant. And so his main job was to make sure that worship and ministry went forth daily, not just on Monday not just on Sunday come on saints but he had to make sure that worship and ministry went before the ark of the covenant before the tabernacle daily and one more fact that you may not know about Asaph a lot of people don't know is that Asaph is a prophet yes yeah, second chronicles chapter 29 verse 30 tells us that Asaph is a prophet more specifically he is a seer and in hebrew <laughs> seer means a beholder and vision this is going to come in handy later so let's look at the verses Here Asaph says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. You got to pay attention to the words nearly and almost, because these two words indicate that something has led Asaph, something he's seen or experienced has led him to almost slip and almost stumble. But watch it. These two words also indicate to us that a separate event has prevented him from fully stumbling and fully slipping because he said he nearly and that he almost slipped. Ask your neighbor, what's Asaph talking about? (laughs) What's got this man so discombobulated that he can't keep his balance? It's in verse three. For I was envious of the arrogant. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now it makes, it makes all sense now. Asaph is angry, y'all. He's envious. He's jealous. Why? Not because his godly brothers and sisters are prospering. Not because his cousins are prospering. Not because the church mothers and the church deacons are prospering. But the wicked are prospering. God's own enemies. Verses 4-9, through nine, when you read them, he says, They speak against the heavens they mock the oppressed. These are the people that are healthy, strong. They don't have no troubles. They don't have any sickness. These are the ones that are prospering. Have you been there? Yeah, just, yeah, go ahead, be honest. Yeah, in college, I was applying for jobs and internships. Everything I sent out, rejection, (laughs) rejection, rejection. Yeah, here we go. Some of my friends don't know God, don't go to church, don't worship, speak against God. Some of them even atheists, and yet everything they sent out, Accept it, accept it, accept it, accept it. So I'm looking at God like, yo, what's going on? You see me in church, right? You see me on my knees, right, in worship, right? You see me in Bible study, right? I'm pleading and asking you for the one thing I need to graduate, and I, have, I don't have it. Yet the people who speak against your name, the people who don't take time in their schedule to acknowledge you are the ones who are prospering over me. That's not fair. Can you be honest? you told God sometimes, this ain't fair. This is not fair at all especially in ministry. We put so much on ourselves to serve after God and give him everything, but yet when we look outside the kingdom, we see that the atheists are the one with all the money. The agnostics are the one with the mansions. They got everything that they want, and yet here we are in the house of the Lord, and we don't have nothing to show for it. What I want to remind you and challenge you is this. Was Asaph justified in how he felt? Absolutely, but I want to challenge you with this. When you start to feel cheated, When you start to feel like you deserve more than you're getting, especially when it comes to serving the Lord, you need to ask yourself, why am I really doing it? Why am I coming to church, standing on this platform to sing? Why am I up here preaching? Why am I spending time in my study devoting time to God? Is it because I want something in return? Or do I really love him? Am I spending all this time in devotion because I truly have a love for God or I'm trying to get something out of him? See, the reason why you feel cheated tonight is because you don't see God as the ultimate reward of your service. You don't see God as the ultimate prize to be attained through your worship. You come in here, you lift holy hands, you sing, because you want to be noticed. Ain't that a reason why a lot of people get into ministry? They want to be seen. Yeah, they get attention all their lives, but give them a mic. Give them a podium. They'll stand here so that everybody can see them, not thinking about God at all. And yet, when people are blessed over them, when people get blessed over them before them, they start to feel cheated. But that's because you don't see him as the ultimate reward. I'm not saying there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with getting paid to do ministry. Amen? There's nothing wrong with getting a plaque with your name on it. Amen? There's nothing wrong with being recognized. What you need to understand is you need to get to a point where if they don't pay you, If they can't pay you, if they don't recognize you, if they don't give you a plaque with the name on it, if they don't give you no gift cards, is God truly enough? Is he truly the thing to be obtained through your worship? Is he truly the thing to be grasped and sought after? Go to the next slide. Here's Asaph. He says, and they say, how can God know? Is their knowledge in the Most High. This is what Asaph's saying, the wicked are saying. See, to them, God is out to lunch. To them, God is on vacation. To them, God is just not aware. You want to know why? These wicked know that they're wicked. They know that they're evil. But here's what they're essentially saying. If your God is a God of justice, if your God is a God of judgment, if he judges the wicked, why are we still alive? <laughs> we still, we wicked. We're arrogant. We speak against the heavens. So if your God truly judges the wicked, why are we still here? Why are we still prospering? So they come to this arrogant, sarcastic conclusion that God must not be paying attention. See, one of the biggest stumbling blocks you pursuit after God as you continue to hunger and thirst after him, not only is seeing the wicked prosper a stumbling block, but seeing the wicked go unpunished. Yeah, yeah, yeah seeing them not suffer what they justly deserve. God, they're going into the schools, killing children. Where's the vengeance? God, they're coming up in our churches and killing your sons and daughters. Where's the vengeance? God, they're getting up in planes and shooting us down from the sky. Where's the vengeance? God, they're going up to movie theaters and shooting people innocently. Where is the vengeance? When you don't see the wicked being punished, when you don't seeing them suffer justly for what they do wrong, you find yourself pursuing, and it comes to a halt. Because it's just like, God, I thought I served a God of justice. I thought I'm pursuing after a God who gives justly what people deserve. But when I don't see it happening, I get discouraged. I get depressed. And this is what happens. A lot of us end up like Asaph in verse 13. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Watch this. And you see the wicked prosper and you see them go unpunished, you almost begin to regret being faithful. That's how bad it gets. You almost regret coming in here every day praying and spending time in devotion because you don't have anything to show for it. What's the point of living holy if living holy gets me nothing and living like a hellion gets me everything? What's the point of living set apart if living set apart gets me ridiculed and I'm all alone but being included in the crowd gets me money, fame, and prosperity? What's the point of remaining pure? Come on, somebody. When you know all your friends are out there having fun and you've committed yourself to wait for God to bring the one so you can have some fun. What happens? What happens? When you are being obedient. And you ain't getting nothing in return. God, I pour out. I give out. Nothing. When you find yourself in this position, you need to recall what God has already laid up for you in heaven. But in order to do that, you got to get in your word. That's why people don't know the treasures that God has laid for them up in heaven. Because they're sitting there looking at their Bible, going through you version. Oh, I did my devotion. Checked it off for today. That's good. Not realizing that if you just look through the Bible, you see his promises. Ephesians says that we are seated in heavenly places. Romans says that we are joint heirs with Christ and heirs of God the Father. Psalm 24, 3-5 says that who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in this holy place? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. See, David, in that psalm, he saw what the prize was. To stand in the holy place of God, the living God. That's enough for me to stand in his place. So I got to keep washing my hands. I got to keep drying myself. I got to keep washing myself. I got to keep to you to purify myself because in his presence is where I want to be. Verse 5 says that this person will also shall receive a blessing from the Lord. We know that from Proverbs 10, that a blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. So with all of these promises laid up for me, why am I sitting here spending time envying people who are getting destroyed? We're going to get to that later. But why am I spending time being jealous of people who have no reward in the next life? Because they think this is the only life they got. So they're going to spend all the money they want. They're going to flaunt everything that you have, but they don't understand that there's a next life. And in that next life, all they see is red. All they see is fire. All they see is dirt and brimstone. But it don't matter what I see now. I don't have a lot to show for it now. I may be wearing the same clothes I've been wearing for the same months, but I know when I get to heaven, I got a robe, y'all. It's white. It's clean. Ain't nothing going to deteriorate. Ain't nothing about it going to get dirty. Yeah. I'm already seated. You ain't got to escort me to no banquet. You ain't got to escort me to no special seat. I'm already seated in heavenly places. Already seated. Come to the next slide. So here's what Asaph says. He says, if I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. What you need to know about this passage is that this is an internal war that Asaph is battling. Because he says, if I had said. He hasn't told anybody how he's felt. He hasn't told anybody how envious he feels of the wicked. He hasn't told anybody just how jealous he feels, how he regrets being faithful. And the reason why he feels that way is because he feels like he would be betraying the generation of God's people. Why is that? God revealed it to me in very simple terms. Asaph is a man of great influence. You see all these titles that he has? He's chief of tabernacle worship. He's a worship leader. He's a prophet in King David's court. He oversees the singers. He oversees, oversees the instrumentalists. A man of great influence and position. For God's people to hear him talk like this, for God's people to hear him admit how bitter he is, how envious he is, how he regrets being faithful, they're going to look at him like, why is he leading worship? Why are we allowing a man like this to lead us into the presence of God when he's filled with bitterness and envy? And not only does Asaph keep this to himself for that reason, but he also feels like if he were to truly express how he feels, that he would cause the faith of his brothers and sisters to fail. That if they adopt the same bleak, depressed mindset that he has, that they will begin to lose faith as well. One of the biggest things that's missing in the church is Transparency. You wanna know why? Because we feel like once we step into the position of pastor, I'm now perfect. That once we step into the position of worship leader, I now have no struggles. That if I step into the position of minister, I don't struggle with that no more, lying. If I step into the position of any position that it is, the position has now eradicated me from my humanity. It's a lie. In fact, in stepping in that position, the struggle gets harder. You got people looking at you, eyes wondering, but the misconception is that because I'm in this position, because I'm an executive pastor or a pastor or a minister, whatever it is, that I can't be honest. But it's that lack of transparency is what's causing all the scandals. No accountability. All the believers need a confidant, somebody they can just go to be like, yo, Pastor B, I was getting ready to go off at work today, man, and the Holy Ghost just spared my, oh, spared their life, not mine, almost spared their life. Yeah, Vernon, I saw a girl today, man, she was looking good. You need a confidant, somebody you can release all these things to, but knowing that when you're transparent and you're honest, that somebody will see that, and it won't cause their faith to fail but they'll see that this struggle is real, that you're not being a fake Christian, that they can relate to you and connect to you, that they can pour their hearts out to you and not feel judged. I wonder how many people would have been set free had Asaph just told somebody how he really felt. But look what he says, he says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Yeah, in logic, the wicked should be suffering, The righteous should be prospering, but it's actually the other way around. The wicked are prospering, and the righteous are suffering. So according to Asaph's logic, he said, "Yo, I thought about it. I tried to think of my own breath, and it's just not making sense. But in verse 17, the burden is lifted. In verse 17, the weight is lifted. In verse 17, there's deliverance. You want to know why? He says, I went into the sanctuary of God. See, what we underestimate about God's presence, don't get me wrong, in God's presence there's liberty, there's, there's, there's um, 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 fullness of joy. Thank you. There's power, there's restoration, there's deliverance. But What you kind of underestimate that you can get in God's presence also is clarity. Yeah, yeah, Elisha prayed God when his servant was like, yo, we about to die. What are we going to do? Elisha prayed. He said, God, open up his eyes. If you just get in his presence... Don't underestimate the fact that he can bring clarity to your bleak situation. Dominique, are you saying that church is the only place I can get revelation? Oh, you can be in the store, in the bathroom, (laughs) sleep, (laughs) and God can bring revelation to you. But the temptation when life seems unfair, when circumstances don't make sense, when it seems like the wicked are prospering, the temptation is to turn your back on the church, which is really you turning your back to God. You're really mad with God, but you know that's, that's his main house. So you see those people who come to church for like a couple weeks and then they disappear? Life got hard. Circumstances didn't make sense. But instead of pressing through the confusion, they gave in and turned back. Asaph, in spite of his confusion, still pursued. I don't make fun of anybody who has church hurt. But I'm telling myself now, I know that with great success comes great opposition. So I'm speaking to myself now, Dominique, it don't matter how hard it gets. It don't matter how confusing it gets. I'm girding up my loins. I'm girding up the breastplate of righteousness. I'm carrying the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. Nothing that comes against me. I'm not going to allow it to get in the way of the ultimate prize. I'm not going to let any circumstance stop me from pursuing the one who I'm truly love that even when it seems like people are getting what I feel like I deserve, can I break right here? You actually deserve hell. Um, You actually deserve the grave. You actually deserve to be seen brimstone. This is what you deserve. You don't deserve anything. Tell me, what did you do to deserve grace and mercy? Tell me what you did to deserve life. Tell me what you deserve to receive breath this morning. But when it feels like you don't get what you deserve, Are you committed to press through a perceived reality? Are you committed to press through what you see in the natural? Watch this. Asaph is a prophet. He's a seer. He's gifted with spiritual foresight. And yet, in this passage, he's caught up in his natural eyesight. Gifted in spiritual foresight. The later Psalms, he begins to prophesy the destruction of God's enemies. So it's not like he doesn't have access to know what the end is going to be like. But here he's caught up in his flesh. Galatians will tell us that this war against spirit and flesh is real, y'all. And the minute you start to discount it as real, you'll fall, 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 fall. Don't matter how anointed you are. Don't matter how prophetic you are. If you can't train these bad boys right here, if you cannot train them to see, oh, this is what it looks like in the natural. But in the spirit, <laughs> there's an uprising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the natural, it feels like I'm going downhill. It feels like I have no hope. But in the spirit, I see that God is pushing me all the way up. So he said, I discern their end in his presence. Their end. 18 and 19 tells us that, Asa said, God, you set them on slippery slopes. Headed towards destruction. So while it looks like they're elevating in actuality, they're descending. And while you may feel stagnant, you have to know that you're actually ascending. And your faithfulness and your commitment, it may look like you're not seeing, because sometimes we sow, we sow, but when we don't see what we reap in the same season that we sow, we get discouraged. God, I'm plowing my hands to do this work. It's been five months and a year, and I don't see anything. But what does Galatians say? That if you faint not, (laughs) if you keep going, if you keep pushing, in due season, you will reap. If you faint not, again, proceed reality, what the Word already says. Go to the next slide. And see, we know that Asaph recognizes he's got the revelation now. He says in 27, those who are far from you, they going down. That's why I ain't got to envy no uh, arrogant, wicked person. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know I'm a king, a king's king? Don't you know that I'm a child of God? Don't you know that I'm royalty? <laughs> what am I sitting here envying you for? You ain't got nothing. And what you got is deteriorating. Yeah, girls, tell them I'm a queen. I'm a daughter of, of the king. What, what I got to be envious of you for? What you got that I ain't got? My God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. What you got that I don't got? My God got riches and glory, eternal riches. What you got my God don't got? My God seated me in heavenly places. Where are you sitting at? Oh, in a limousine? That's fine. I'm seated in heaven already, but thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Go to the next slide. So why is God the ultimate prize? I got two points for y'all, just two. Why is he the ultimate prize? He's the prize that can never be stripped away. Go to the next slide. See here, Asaph admits, he says, God, I was bitter. I was ignorant, I was brutish. I was like a beast towards you. That's how envious I was. But watch this. Next slide. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. Just recently, a lot of the Olympians who won medals in the 2008 Olympics, they found out that they were drug cheats. Yeah, they retested their samples, found out they was cheating. And steroids. Yeah, yeah. And what did they do? they stripped their medals away. All the years, all the nights of hard work and sweating and tears, for one moment, and in another moment, taken away. Asaph admits that, God, I was in sin. You do know that being envious is a sin, right? Yeah, harsh reality. It's not just, you know, sex outside of marriage, you know, it's not just cursing, it's envy, jealousy, these are the works of the flesh. So Asaph admits, God, I was bitter and I was envious, but yet you stayed with me. Yet you are always with me. And Jeremiah, he says, when you seek me, you will find me. When you seek me with all of your heart. That means when you seek after him, he will embrace you. And there is no gravitational pull. There's no force on this earth in space or in the galaxies that can push you away from him the only thing that pushes you away from him is yourself yeah that's the force that pushes you away from him but once you fully embrace he's not like a metal y'all he's not like a material possession that can just be snatched away from you once you grab a hold of him you can hold on to him and be like God I could just stay here forever and you know what he tells you Son and daughter, I'm not going nowhere. (laughs) There's no amount of force, no devil in hell that can push me away from you because I have all power and authority in my hands. I'm the one who created the galaxies. I'm the one that created gravitational pulls. These scientists are just taking notes off of things that I already did. (laughs) They're just discovering things that I already put in place. I know they won't give me the credit, but there is no force that can push me, that can strip me away from you. Next slide. So not only is he the prize that can never be taken away, he's the prize that never fades away. Never fades away. Go to the next slide. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on this earth that I desire besides you. Watch this. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God, you are the strength of my heart. And watch this, my portion forever. See, in Old Testament, inheritance was a huge thing. As you pass down From uh, father to son, the inheritance just goes down the line. But to see God as the inheritance, the prize to be inherited, above the money, the riches, the gold, all of those things, to see him as that, that's seeing him as the prize. And watch this. He's eternal. Alpha and omega. So many people have left your lives. You think that God is going to do the same thing the minute you mess up. He is alpha and omega and in everything in between. He has nowhere to go. <laughs> he has nowhere to go, y'all. He ain't about to get in a car and just leave you. He ain't about to get in a truck and just abandon you. Why would a father so gracious, so loving, abandon his own children? But because he has not been subjected to the sin of this world, he can never deteriorate. Yet yeah, gold, silver, Metal, all those things over time will eventually deteriorate and they will break down. You ever had toys that you had as a child and you looked at them 10 years later, you like, I played with that. <laughs> it got scratches, it got stains, it got all these things on it. But here God is, an incorruptible, eternal, everlasting, stays the same, doesn't change, always there, always was there, always will be there can never fade away, can never be stripped away, can never be taken away. He is the ultimate. That's why you got to seek after him. You've been putting your hands to seek after things that have been stripped away from you, that have been taken, that have deteriorated. But once you seek after him through Jesus, he made it possible for us to embrace him totally. And now that I have him, he ain't going nowhere. Go to the next slide, the definition of ultimate. Not to be approved upon or surpassed. Tell your neighbor, it don't get no better than God. It don't get no better than somebody who cannot deteriorate, somebody that can't die, somebody that cannot be taken away from you. It don't get no better than God. Incomparable, the best, the greatest. He is the ultimate prize. Go back. Slide before. that. This Friday, um, I was a, in a very unfortunate accident at work. I went to open up the machine, and I was working on, it was still hot, but I thought it was okay to open, but when I opened it up, the pressure from the tank pushed the cap off, and immediately I was consumed with vapor. All of the 105 Celsius degree hot liquid shot out of the tank like a rain shower and fell to the ground, and the vapor released with it burning my eyes so I could not see. Follow me, y'all. Burning my throat so I couldn't really talk. So I ran to the bathroom, calling my co-worker. Come, come, come. I'm in trouble. And when I could get a couple slashes of water in my eyes, I felt my body give way, and I felt unconscious. I was laying on the floor, going in and out. But when I thought about it, whom do I really have in heaven but you? When I was laying on the floor, going in and out, not knowing what going in and out of consciousness was, whom do I really have but you, oh God? Nobody was in the building with me, y'all, and if I had not called, I would have been there for hours. Whom do I really have but you? I couldn't breathe, I couldn't talk, I couldn't see. Whom do I really have but you? When I went to the hospital, my dad had to rush to get off of work. He had to leave work early and it took him a minute to get there, but when I sat in the hospital, I didn't have friends there, I didn't have family there. It was just me in that hospital room, but whom do I have in heaven but you? When I was on the floor in my hospital bed with no one there to comfort me, no one there to speak to what I was going through, I sent out texts asking people to pray heaven down, but still I had nobody I knew physically to be there, but whom do I have in heaven? but you. I don't serve God because I want something out of him. I serve him because in my lowest moment, when I couldn't call, when I couldn't speak, when I was drifting in and out of consciousness, he was there. That when the cap exploded and the liquid launched out of the tank, His presence was like a shield around me. And then I was laying on that floor, not knowing what was going to happen. He covered me like a blanket. And what would have taken me out had I stayed in there any longer? What would have taken me out? whom do I have in heaven but you? When no one else was there, even when they came and got me in those moments, whom do I really have in heaven but you? When my father was in his car rushing to get to the hospital, stuck in traffic, after work, rush hour, whom do I really have but you? I'm not up here because I want something from you. In his sacrifice, he saved my life. And that's what what compels me to seek after him. The one who gives me grace and mercy every single day. That's why I do this. So even when I see the wicked getting stuff over me, when I see agnostics and atheists prospering, I'm not worried. I got my prize. I got my reward. And just like Asaph said in verse 24, God, when you guide me with your counsel, you can receive me to glory. I know this is extreme, but let's say, had, let's say I didn't make it. Let's say that was a reality. I would have been fine because he would have taken me to glory. The one that I long and spend my life chasing, I would finally be with him. And no amount of money no amount of riches could ever compare to him. Stand to your feet. Say, God, you are the ultimate prize. Say, God, you are the ultimate reward. Say, God, it don't get no better than you. Say, God, you are the greatest, you are the best. No one compares to you. You are the best there is. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for meeting us here today, Oh God. Thank you for your word. Seal it in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's get ready for our...